This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. And welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. Miles, you're not in front of me, and we're not doing our regular remote setup. You're calling me on the phone. Is this just a laziness thing? Yeah, you know, I'm just, I've just stopped leaving the house altogether, and I got rid of my internet, and uh, I'm slowly receding from society. All right, so this will be our last phone call before you chuck the phone into the water and totally go off the grid. Is that what I'm feeling? <laughs> yeah. yeah, something like that. All right, perfect. So... I, I wanted to get you on the phone to chat a little bit about the philanthropy issue of the Door County Living magazine, because we have it in front of us right now, and it looks gorgeous. And I want to kind of walk through what it is, how it came together, and some of the pieces inside of it. So why don't we just sure. jump in with what the philanthropy issue is? Obviously, we do it every year, but give me a little bit of the background on why we started making this special issue of the Door County Living magazine uh, and, and what we try to do with it each year. Yeah, um, it was the brainchild of Dave Elliott, as so many things that we, we do are. Um, and I think it's 11 or 12 years ago now. And the idea was, like, let's do an entire issue of the magazine highlighting the role of philanthropy in our county. Because I guess if you're involved in those organizations, you, re- you recognize how much they do. But Door County is very rare in just, like, the number of nonprofits, how necessary they are, and just the wide scope of the nonprofits. Everything from child care centers to arts and culture to theater um, and and human services. And then you have like, you know, massive funds like the Door County Community Foundation that contributes to everybody. And you don't even know, like the average person in Door County doesn't know how much philanthropy impacts them until you really sit down and think about it. Brett B. Coy is really good about ex- explaining just like how unique this is because he's worked in different parts of the country in, in philanthropy and in the world of community foundations. And he says that there's nowhere else where it's, it's quite as in, intertwined in everything as it is in Door County because it's, it's actually like this huge part of our, our economy because it's so much of our tourism industry is actually centered around nonprofits when you think about Peninsula Players or Northern Sky Theater and, and so many other aspects of, of what we enjoy in Door County. So really what it was is like, let's, let's put this front and center, let's tell the story of philanthropy, and then also let's talk about some of the issues that nonprofits are facing each year. and and highlight the people who are doing amazing work and giving back to the community. You know, you mentioned that there's just, uh, there's a ton of nonprofits up here, but there's also support for those nonprofits too. I mean, that's the other thing. Door County is a very charitable community and we, we do come together as a community a lot to give back and to support programs that do that kind of thing. That's a huge part of it too. That's a, that's a really great point you bring up too, is just, and those nonprofits don't exist if people aren't there to give to them, right? And it's, and so many of the people who give to them are not actually like people who were born and raised in Door County. There are people oftentimes from the, from the outside who fall in love with Door County and they come to see it as, as much their home as their actual home. You know, so they may be a seasonal resident, but Door County is the place that they care about and that they give back to. So, you know, there is this knee-jerk thing among a lot of people in Door County. Say, well, we, we don't need tourism or there's too many people or, you know, I hate all these people crowding our streets. And then, but you really have to recognize, like, those people crowding our streets become our seasonal residents, who become our donors, who help us build things like the India Village Good Samaritan, the Door Community Auditorium, the theaters, the 
expanse, like a, a, a small rural hospital that, that has the, the, the skills and the doctors of the scope that we have in Door County, that all happens because of those people giving back. You know, it's, it's not a lot of locals who become multimillionaires who give that kind of money. You know, so we are really fortunate to have that tourism, to have those outside people who love this place that we live in. Right. Tell me about how this particular issue came together. Because one thing that uh, I, I think some people know about Door County Living Magazines is when they come out seasonally, we have to do the prep on those a year in advance, right? So in order to get all of the fall foliage photos, stuff like that, we have to take them the year previously uh, because it comes out right before we jump into that season. So there's a, a lot of lead time on this. And I think that the magazine this year is interesting because most of the lead time on all of them would have been last year during the pandemic. And it's pretty easy for us to shift most of what we talk about in terms of, you know, what's our lens on this given the current pandemic. But that wasn't necessarily the case for the philanthropy issue, right? Not every story in here is about how the pandemic affected philanthropy in Door County, right? Yeah, this year was particularly difficult to put the issue together because we do try, like you said, we try to plan a year in advance. And then when COVID hit, it just like zapped us with so much energy and resources to have to put toward covering that in the moment. So then you get a little a little behind on planning all the magazine issues. And then you're sitting in, in the middle of a pandemic going, all right, can we, are we still going to be in the middle of this six months from now? Is it still going to be topical if we do a lot of stuff about COVID? So we kind of battled back and forth about like, do we keep this issue, the 2021 philanthropy issue centered on COVID and the people helping? Or will it be gone by then? And do we need to have other topics? So, because he wanted to be topical, but also a little timeless, because this sits on shelves for a year. Right. Um, and of course, if COVID would have been totally gone by now, we wouldn't want to just be reminding people of this terrible year we just went through. Right. So, it, it was, we tried to strike a balance of doing the like we knew COVID was going to have to be part of this, and the people. And when I say COVID, I mean I mean the people who helped us get through it. So, we wanted to highlight that the people who stepped up, went the extra mile, helped their neighbors, things like that volunteered, but then also have a glimpse of some larger topical issues in the county, such as, you know, the Sunshine House is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and the Sunshine House is an organization that helps give purpose and jobs and caregiving to people with disabilities or people with Alzheimer's and things like that. Then you have, and that's not going away and that's not COVID, you have um, the child care issue, which came to a head last year and continues to be an issue for a lot of people. So we wanted to highlight some of the people who were working so hard to um, address that problem and, and try and solve that and, and some of the dynamics that play, but also include the people who, have, who were so instrumental in getting us through the last year and, and kind of what they individually went through as they tried to do that, such as Sue Powers, the, the county public health director who you know had to deal with, she was the face of restrictions and things like that for this local community a position she never thought she was going to be in. Um, and Brian Stevens, who not only was he the, was he the CEO at Dorothy Medical Center, which faced probably its most difficult year in its history, trying to help guide the community through um, a public health crisis. But at the same time, he also stepped up and helped to solve the child care crisis and sat on business recovery task force to try and help other businesses manage their way through the pandemic and help launch a ski team at Surgeon Bay High School. So even in the midst of taking on what will be probably the most difficult year of his career, he's stepping up to help other people fix community problems. So um, just trying to highlight some of those people and, and the myriad ways we've, we've gone through this. Right. 
One story that I wanted to talk about a little bit was Tom Groenfeld's piece on Zoom meetings, because that is something that is very centered in the pandemic, but also has a much uh, longer effect, right? I, I feel like Zoom meetings or, or voice over internet, those types of things where we're meeting remotely on things. Yeah, it was a necessity this year, but I feel like a lot of companies, a lot of businesses and organizations were able to find that like, hey, this is actually helpful beyond this as well. Um, walk me through some of your takeaways from reading Tom's piece. Well, for sure. I mean, you look at, you know, we, we've been using Slack in the post office for several years, but it's largely been, what, Andrew, like me, you, a couple of young interns, and then maybe uh, Rick Kozmeiter who actually used it for the longest time. Right. And then... And then everyone else saw it as like, oh, we don't really need to use this other messaging thing. And uh, we don't need to figure out Zoom meetings or Google Meet. And people could get away with that. And then COVID hit. And all these people who just said, I can't deal with one more thing. I can't. I don't need to learn that. I can't learn something new at this point. They all learned it within a week, right? Yep. <laughs> and then suddenly our entire office is communicating on Slack and through Google Meet. And, you know, it worked. I mean, we, and we're still doing that to a large degree at this point. Um it's been really interesting to see, like, and I'd be curious your thought on this too, like when necessity struck, it's like, okay, we can figure this out actually rather rapidly. This thing that was like this massive boulder to try and nudge even within our own office. Right. I mean, from my perspective, these are all things that I was totally used to beforehand, right? They're, they're nothing new mm -hmm. to me. Although the way in which we used it in the office did change because like you mentioned, we've been using Slack and stuff like that for years, but it's primary usage among the, the few people in the office that used it would be like, if I was talking to somebody in person, I would say, hey, send me that link to whatever this is, or, or can you send right. me this person's contact information? Or, hey, I, I've got this idea. What do you think? Like something kind of quick banter like that. Right. And, and so they would be largely just uh, a delivery system, right? To send each other mm -hmm. digital things. Uh, very seldomly were we having conversations or talking about things over that. Uh, or I might send a, a Slack message to somebody who I knew was out and about, might not check their email, but will get a Slack message in the same way they'd get a text message. That was how we were using it before. Now we have, you know, meetings, full conversations, talk about stuff. All of the stuff that we would be doing in the office, we're doing digitally over Slack. Um, so that's the change that I saw in it, just in uh, the transition from using it as a convenience to using it as a necessity. And it's, Interesting, too, to see there are certain people that communicate in certain types of personalities that are much, um, almost more vibrant or communicate better through a, a system like Slack than they do in person. Right. And that's definitely come out in our own office, and I'm sure in a lot of organizations have seen that same thing. Um, and just for the listeners who are not familiar, Slack is uh, a messaging um, platform that, you, it, you know, they, you might say, like, well, one, that's a few email or text message. Um, basically, it's a way to eliminate more clutter in email and have conversations that have that are organized in specific categories that you can just post a message in that might be about, hey, this is about live music versus this is a news item versus, in our case, like this is a magazine story topic. Right. And yeah, everybody so can see them a, and everybody can interact with them at the same time in an organized way. Whereas if you sent an email right. to everybody in the office, 
then we're getting a bunch of emails coming in and out and some of them might go just to the original sender and some of them might go to everybody and you you come up with this very unwieldy chain of emails very quickly whereas in slack yeah. it's all organized we can all have instantaneous input on it uh without having to create this big monster exactly so um but anyway so we started using that and then we start using google meet um which is just video through through google teams um, to, to host meetings, but then a lot of nonprofits and even government entities started using Zoom and WebEx and all these things that a lot of people in Door County were completely unfamiliar with just a year ago. And what Tom Bronfeld's story in the philanthropy issue talks about is how much, you know, where that has hurt some nonprofits in some ways, but then also presented new opportunities. Like we, I'm on the, the board of Right On Door County and we were able to have, um, a new board member from Milwaukee who has been a great asset to us because now we can attend meetings because we're all doing them by Zoom. So he attends these meetings and we get this, this opportunity to kind of spread our wings wider. And if, um, you know, it just wouldn't have been possible before because now everyone knows how to use this platform. But a year ago, yeah, maybe me and one or two other people might know how to use it, but that if we can, then it's this hurdle for everybody else. So you really can't um, bring a whole team together that way. And I think for a lot of nonprofits, that has changed the game for them this year. And then it's also allowed, you know, in my case, I'm able to cover a lot of different meetings because they're all on Zoom. So I can cover a Sturgeon Bay meeting and a Liberty Grove meeting in the same day or in the same night because I don't have to travel between them. So for nonprofits, you have this situation where people are able to, you can have better attendance and more engagement on your board in some cases. Because, you know, let's say you have a board member from Sister Bay, but your board meets in Sturgeon Bay, and they, they just can't make it that week because they're picking up the kid at 4 and the meeting's at 4.30 and they just can't do it. Now you can do those things by, by Zoom and still make the meeting. Um, so it's presented some new opportunities in those ways, but it also it eliminates that, that camaraderie that comes with sitting around a big table and having a conversation and being in person and, <laughs> and seeing you know, you lose those things in communication when you're not seeing somebody's face or somebody's actions in a meeting and whether or not they're engaged in that sort of way. So there's definitely pros and cons, but I think it's, it's probably helped a lot of nonprofits, especially in Door County where, where board members and, and, and volunteers are typically on the older side. Now they all know how to use that stuff. So it, it, it presents new options, right? especially for maybe having a board member who spends the winter um, in Arizona or Florida like now they can still be engaged in the board for those six months. Right. Which maybe they don't want to be. (laughs) And when you think about it as like the two extremes, right? One extreme being all in-person meetings and the other extreme being all remote meetings. I think that this year and next year, when you have the combination of the two of them, that's where you're going to find the real tangible impact of this, right? So you do have the in-person conversations. You have the immediacy of being around each other. But then you also have the accessibility of also bringing in people remotely. So like you said, having more members being able to join from wherever they may be. But also it's an accessibility thing, too, right? If you have somebody who can't travel as easily uh, or who can't, you know, spend a lot of time outside of the home or or those types of things. Now, all of a sudden, they have more agency in being able to be included in these things and engaged in these things than they would have if the only option was to be there physically. So when we start combining in-person meetings with a Zoom component, being able to have people come in and and have a combination of those two things, 
that's when I think that people are going to really see the impact of this. And I hope that the, the organizations that are using it right now don't drop it when they're able to get back together. I hope that it still becomes a part of the process to as a tool rather than a necessity. I think that that's going to be the, the big thing to watch for, you know, as people get vaccinated and meetings start going back to being in person. Yeah. I mean, we had, using right on as an example again, a couple of years ago, we did a past the publication conference. And this is before everyone got comfortable with, with Zoom and, and Skype and everything. And we had a, there was a snowstorm in Minneapolis that prevent, prevented some of our presenters from making it to the conference. And Jared Santak, our, our artistic director, was able to set them up via Skype at the Crest Pavilion. But it was, you know, there were a lot of hurdles involved in trying to make that technology work for presenters and the audience at that time. If the same thing were to happen two years from now, I just, I don't think people would bat an eye at it. I think it would be, it would flow pretty seamlessly. And for our organization, and I'm guessing for many others, doing classes and conferences in, in some measure by Zoom or some sort of remote meeting, it's going to, it's going to be a component of what we do forever now because it right. allows us to offer what we offer beyond the scope of who can make it to Judville this week, you know? Right. So um, it does present, you know, because in our case, there's people who want to write all over the world. And if that, if we can present something that applies to them, like it, now they don't have to fly here. And I'm, I'm sure that the theater groups who have done a, a really amazing job of uh, transitioning throughout this, um, you know, it's, it's just finding new ways to spread your message and communicate and, spread your audience and maybe your donor base. Right. Well, when you, you mentioned classes and stuff like that, and I think classes, presentations, festivals, all of those types of things that we've seen done digitally this year, I think that components of that should continue for the future too. I think about Door County Reads, right? They did almost all of their stuff virtually, which meant that you could participate in so many more of them if you weren't able to actually travel to the events like you would normally. And not only did they have them live streamed, but they kept them available for the duration of the festival. So if you couldn't make an eight o'clock on Tuesday night or whatever, but you could watch it the next morning, now all of a sudden you're able to, you know, enjoy all of this stuff that's going on without the physical limitations of it. And I, I think that that should continue to be an offering in some ways for the future. You had mentioned being able to bring in people that you wouldn't normally be able to bring in to do a class because you can do it remotely. I think that that's incredibly valuable. And so the combination of these things moving forward, I think is where you're going to see the real value. You're going to see the value in this, this summer and next year when you have so many more options available to you as somebody who wants to either be engaged or who wants to just take in these events and, and festivals and stuff, uh, but don't necessarily have the time or the ability to physically do it. I think it's going to be really exciting. Well, and, and, you know, we're all clamoring to be back doing in-person things for sure. Like at right on door County, again, I keep going back to that, but like we opened a building during the pandemic. We really haven't been able to welcome people into it. <laughs> That's frustrating. We want to get people back and, and doing in-person things, but also, you know, maybe, you know, if it, for all the nonprofits, there's always fees involved in bringing people here, and there's always appearance fees. But coming, bringing people to Door County, you're also looking at, you know, additional travel fees and lodging fees to get someone to come to Door County. So there might be some ways where where you can save some money for these nonprofits by going, okay, we're going to have this conference, and there's certain people that are going to be in person, but then we're also going to be able to bring in this other name from New York or Chicago or L.A. We're going to have they're they're going to be part of this, and we can sell them. But now we don't also have to get them like a three night stay and airfare and um, a car rental 
from Green Bay and stuff like that. So there might actually be some tangible cost savings and opportunities available in a lot of different ways. So it's going to be, uh, or or I could be totally wrong. And a year from now, people are like, yeah, forget. I hated that Zoom stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with it. We're doing it all in person. Right. I don't think so. But <laughs> So uh, another component of the philanthropy issue this year is uh, a series of profiles on folks who are leading by example. Can you walk me through some of the names featured here and why they were chosen? Well, I mentioned Sue Powers, obviously, um, as the director of public health and having to do, like, I, I know anybody would have their quibbles with different parts of how we've handled the, the crisis on a national level and a local level. But, you know, there are people, there are health directors around the country who were under so much pressure and cracked, and I understand why, and quit. You know, getting the hate mail, the email, the, the looks, the, the constant questioning, um, the constant accusation of being part of some conspiracy and things. And Sue had to deal with that too. And she has stood up and been front and center and been the face of this locally over and over again, doing these Facebook live sessions and answering public questions, very straight, putting herself out there and every week with Dr. Heist and, um, and in front of the county board. It's one of the toughest things I think anybody's ever had to do in this county. And she, she just stuck with it and persisted. And so that, that story was a definite fit. Brian Stevens, who I talked about earlier, um, Amy Conley at United Way of Door County, not specifically COVID-related, but although she has done a lot to help with COVID, she's also, you know, she's the head of United Way, but there's, there are a few conversations on a community level that I have covered or been a part of it over the last 15 years that Amy Conley hasn't also been a part of, whether you're talking housing, whether you're talking childcare, um, whether you're talking environment, she's a part of it. Business recovery and dealing with COVID, she's a part of it. And that's not her job description is not to solve every problem, but she's there. She's, she's lending her voice and her expertise. And then uh, Denise Berto, who not only was she just on the village board of this today and a strong voice in taking precautions um, around COVID and a very blunt, brave voice at that, but she's been a village rep for 25 years and um, does all she can to protect the, the character of Sister Bay, her hometown, and is as well researched a, a municipal representative as we have in Door County. And whether or not you always agree with what she says or does, like she has the information to back it up. Um, and, I, and it's a very thankless job. You don't get paid much for those village meetings and you, you, you don't do it to become popular. Um, but I, so I thought it was important to recognize some of those people who, who do other things. And then you have Brett Decoy, who is the director of the Door County Community Foundation, um, has been, I think, 11 or 12 years in that role and has helped that organization grow from handling a couple of million dollars to almost $30 million. Um, that, and, and really being a, a sounding board and a source of expertise for all the other nonprofits in the county. I can't tell you how many times I've called him with questions, both as a reporter or as a board member. Um, and again, as another guy who's just involved in so many different community conversations, again, you're talking housing, workforce, um, healthcare, childcare. He's in those conversations. And I've, I always come to admire those people who, who don't see their job through a narrow lens of like, I just do this, I go to work, I, I clock in, I clock out, I do this task and that's it. I always think of there are certain positions that are uniquely powerful in the county where you can do a lot of good to help a lot of different people. And I think if you if you take that job, you owe it to this community to, to do those things, not just say, well, that's not my job, that's somebody else's or that's some other organization's. Like you have to be a part of it, like, or don't take that job in my opinion. So, and those are all people who, who exemplify that, who step up and they don't, they don't put on their, they don't stay in their silo. 
you know, they, they see a problem in the community and they try to solve it. And, you know, another person like that <laughs> is our, is this year's philanthropist of the year that which is named by the Door County Community Foundation. Right. Well, and we'll, we'll jump into that here in a second, but I just wanted to say that it's, it's so interesting reading through these, uh, these profiles of these people who are leading in Door County because one year ago today, basically, you and I were having conversations on this podcast about leadership and needing leadership and where is the leadership. And we were talking a lot about from the top down um, at the right. national and state level. But, you know, those were the questions that we were asking a lot of like, who's going to stand up and help us move through this? And these are those people. And so on the, the anniversary of those conversations, you know, being able to to feature the stories of the people who in a lot of ways did help us through that situation, but uh, who have been helping lead people where they need to go for, you know, decades at this point. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's interesting that you frame it that way because I hadn't thought of that, except, but it gives me another opportunity to get on my soapbox. It's like, you notice who's not, when you look at who led us through it, you, you're not seeing a lot of who you would hope or expect to have done that. You know, it's not the, the state leaders and the political leaders who have the most power and sway who, who took the baton and, and charged forward for us. It was some of these people at the local level who were already swamped, you know, <laughs> and, right. and they, they stepped up and did it. And then you had a lot of representatives who said, well, that's not our role or yeah, I might agree with that, but I don't think that's the way to do it or that's the legal, legally perfect way to do it. And it's like, sometimes when crisis hits, you just got to charge forward and fix it. And right. People at the local level did that, at least. So uh, you mentioned the philanthropist of the year. And when you first uh, told me that you and I should jump in the podcast booth to talk about the philanthropy issue, uh, Dave Elliott, who was standing behind me, said, "Ugh, do you guys have to? Uh, and that is because David Elliott is the philanthropist of the year this year. Uh, walk me through this, Miles. You wrote up a, a great piece on Dave. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've written about Dave a lot in your career here as The Pulse, but... <laughs> How is this one different? Uh, what, what were you focusing on in telling this side of the story? Well, I mean, I purposely try not to write about Dave. I mean, there's some, you know, we approach having this newspaper differently probably than others do where, you know, like I, I, I interviewed Norm Bly back in the day and he would say, I asked him once, said like, you know, you always identified problems or complained about problems and wrote about problems, but you were never really like part of getting involved in solving them. And, and his approach to journalism was, I couldn't do that. I had to be outside it and you can't take the shots that you need to take if you're involved in it. Right. And our, our approach is different. And that's not to say Norm was wrong or we're right or vice versa. You know, there are plenty of people who would say like newspapers and, and journalistic integrity, like means you have to be at arm's length, but we're a small community. There's not a lot of people to go around. There's not a lot of expertise to go around. So we do get involved and our, our staff has always gotten involved, whether it be in, in high school coaching, sitting on boards, volunteering, or in some cases, serving on, on municipal boards even. Um, so Dave is, you know, as we do that, you try hard to not write about yourself. But like this time, Dave became playoff six of the year and having worked alongside him now for an official capacity for 17 years, but known him for 25, I've seen how much he cares about the community and how much he sacrifices personally for the community to do the dirty work, to organize people, to push ideas and be a lightning rod and piss people off quite honestly in pursuit of things that are not necessarily better for him or his businesses, but he just feels that drive to make things better in the community. And David's one of those people who can't see a problem without trying to fix it. Um, often to my frustration, <laughs> but right. 
but ultimately it's, it's meant a lot of good for this community. I mean, he's been a driving force of the Door County Community Foundation. He was a big help for the Door Community Auditorium when, when they had run into some hurdles uh, 10 to 15 years ago at that organization. He's sort of a fixer <laughs> who boards, boards ask him to join to fix a problem. Um, they, they usually don't ask Dave to join a board when things are going great. <laughs> um, so he, he hits things at inflection points. Just, he was supposed to be named the philanthropist of the year a year ago, but the celebration and everything was put off because of COVID-19. And in the year since that, so he was going to be philanthropist of the year before all the stuff I'm about to mention. When Bailey Harbor's town chairman resigned abruptly last year, Dave was asked and stepped in to take that spot, even as we were dealing with the, our own business crisis and at the Peninsula Pulse. Um, and once he did that, he decides, all right, I've got to go all in. So he's trying to straighten out a lot of stuff for the town and address the marina, negotiate the purchase of the Nelson's property, um, the Nelson Harbor property, um, and take on a lot of other tasks. He's pushed for a room tax increase largely to help raise funds that could be used to attack some of the county's bigger problems, whether it be affordable housing, seasonal housing, um, public transportation, childcare. That's why he's going after that. Um, those are not easy fights. They're not, they're not fun, <laughs> but he's taken them on on top of all the other stuff he's already dealing with. Um, so he's just a guy who's, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be his business partner and to have been a part of the Pulse, not just because of the paper or the magazines that we put out each week, but because of the role that hopefully we do play in the community and driving ideas and, and making it better. But at least that's what we try to do each week. And I'm proud of that. And I, I, I'm, I'm, was really happy to see Dave recognize for that. No, you mentioned how because we're a small community, where the Pulse has, you know, in, instead of trying to keep this arm's length, like you said, we get involved in things and, and that that sort of thing. And the way that I look at it is, as a small community, uh, the paper has a larger platform, and being able to use that platform for the community's good. I think is important. At least that's the way that I kind of view the work that I do. And what I view the podcast to do is to try to give a platform to people who can, you know, get their voice out there. And I think in thinking about that and talking about Dave on this episode, if you've been listening to the podcast over the last couple of months, you've heard Dave's name and you've heard from Dave quite a bit. Uh, most of the episodes that we've done over the last couple of months have been either the story of the Peninsula Pulse with Dave or talking about room tax or talking about the Nelson's hardware purchase. Uh, so we've had Dave on the podcast a lot and we are going to be celebrating the third year of the podcast this weekend. And the fact that we've the first time that we got Dave on the podcast at all was maybe last month. I think that that says something <laughs> too. Uh, the fact that he you know, I, I would bring up, we should have you on to talk about something. And for years he was like, oh, you know, well, maybe you should talk to Miles about that instead. Or, uh, you know, he's like, oh yeah, we could do that. We could do that. But then just never gets back to me on it. And that's him trying to avoid <laughs> being the voice for it, right? Right. And it's cool that we've been able to get him on to talk about this kind of stuff because he's not the type of person who likes to be in the spotlight in that way. Even though he throws himself into all of these different crises to try to help out, um, I, I don't think Dave would ever consider himself to be like the, the the paragon of these things or that, you know, he would take as much credit for things as he maybe should be given. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. Like I said, I know that it's been a lot of Dave Elliott lately, but I, 
I'm glad that we've been able to to talk to him and to tell that story and to, to talk about these things. And then that took that took a lot of prodding from you to get him to do it. <laughs> right. But I think that that also talks to, I mean, this year you talked about the Bailey's Harbor situation and now the room tax thing. These are things that are coming up all in conjunction with each other because we're going through a national crisis, right? Like, so yeah, it is kind of a coincidence that we're talking about all of these things with Dave right now, but that's the type of person that he is, is to jump in when things are, are looking bad and to try to move us forward. And, you know, when I was writing the piece, I could have written it just from my own viewpoint, but I wanted to call and talk to other people and, and see if they have the same impressions that I have working alongside Dave all the time. And that certainly came through. And then, and then suddenly, you know, like Brett Picoy talked about like, Dave is, it's not the youngest, one of the youngest people to ever win that award. It's usually sort of a lifetime achievement award given to people in their late seventies who, or eighties, often who have had a lifetime of not, it's not only reserved for people who have given substantial funds, but a lot of times that's what it's all about. And in Dave's case, it's given, as Brett before said, it's, it's about a guy who, who gives, who comes up with ideas and doesn't just say, okay, now somebody go do this or here's some money to go do this. He, he does the dirty work and there's not that, you know, oftentimes in philanthropy, that's not the case. Um, so that was one thing. And, I, and he's also, you know, pretty young. I mean, Dave's only 74. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, and, and he was embarrassed about that as well. This, you know, this is usually an old man or old woman's award. Um, but, it, you know, if you, you look down his, the list of things he's been involved with, um, it's pretty remarkable. And there's a lot of stuff that he's done behind the scenes that I know of um, that are not public things to help business owners get their start and to, to help find money for people or loans for people and things like that. Um, that reminds me of folks like Al Johnson, who did that for so many of his staff members for so many years and, and, and others of that ilk. So, um, yeah, it was cool to see Dave recognize, which I think might have only motivated him to do more, which unfortunately for me means more talking through crazy, difficult ideas with him every day. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that if he, if he was in any way conscious of, you know, not wanting to look like the young person, he shouldn't have submitted the photo with him wearing the backwards baseball cap. <laughs> we could have gone with the frosted tips a little more. We could have just done a whole spread. Right. Dave and I were both victims of the frosted tips uh, trend in the late 90s. You know, I had them too, but at least in the late 90s, I would have been six or seven. <laughs> so maybe a little more acceptable on me. Miles, is there anything else about the philanthropy issue that folks should know before we wrap up today? Only that it's out on newsstands now. It will be delivered to every mailbox in the county, um, I believe, in early June. And, you know, I, I hope people take a chance to pick it up and read it. There's a ton of stuff on people who helped us through the last year and who help us every year. And I'd also love to see people send in suggestions of people to feature for next year. Um, I know there's a lot of people that don't have prominent positions who are not front and center, who do amazing things in the community, both big and small. You know, to be, to be someone we might feature in the philanthropy issue, you don't need to be a director of a nonprofit. You don't need to be um, a big donor or anything. Like we also look for people who just are known as somebody who brightens the day for people um, who, who give in ways big and small to, philanthropy in our county so um you know my email is published in every post and if anyone ever has suggestions for that please send them my way it's uh m-y-l-e-s at ppulse.com that's miles at ppulse.com great well miles thank you for chatting with me about the philanthropy issue i encourage everybody to go find a copy pretty much just spin around with your eyes open in door county and you should be able to find it somewhere 
and and check it out if you're looking for some uplifting stories of people making a difference i mean this is a, a great place to find it and if you're feeling kind of burnt out from the last year uh i, I think paging through this you know might help with that a little bit uh, or at least I, I would hope that it could. Uh, so with that, Miles, uh, thank you so much for chatting with me, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.